Wonderful to see you here on this snowy winter morning. I hope that you um, had a safe journey in. A few people have told me about them slipping and sliding all over the place. But isn't it beautiful today in Newcastle with all of the snow? Um, I hope you're not feeling too disappointed as well after the football last night. Um, I have never been as on edge as I was last night watching England play France. Um, my small group chat was going off all the way through it. Um, somebody texted me saying, Ben, we really want a reference to the game in your sermon tomorrow morning. Something along the lines of, the England team might lose, but Jesus never will. Uh, or this one um, from Tolua, which I thought was slightly harsh on our captain, but um, he sent it anyway. Our hope is in Jesus much more than in Harry Kane. Um, Ella, Ella Gurney sent this unlike in the football the victory is already ours amen to that um, again this one I thought was slightly harsh on Jordan Pickford Jesus saves unlike Pickford <laughs> I, I think he's barely put a foot wrong all tournament um, and my personal favourite this is from um, Alex Keith. for those of you that know Alex Jesus stole the sting of death as that referee stole the dreams of every English child. <laughs> anyway, uh, I hope you're over it. I am already, praise God. Um, talking of dashed hopes and expectations, that is what we're looking at basically in the Bible reading today um, and how we can have a bigger vision for who God is and a bigger vision for our life. And I want to put it to us as well, a bigger vision for our Christmas this year. So the set reading for the day is Matthew 11, and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 6 together. Matthew 11, verses 1 to 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask them, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Um, apologies that it's a little chilly in here this morning, church. We arrived this morning and the boilers had had a failure. Um, but they are now back on, so hopefully it will get progressively warmer as, as the service goes. Um, today is the third Sunday of Advent. I'm kind of thinking, where has all of the, where's all the time gone? It is only two weeks now until Christmas. 13 more sleeps and it will be Christmas Day. As I said earlier, I want to speak to us a little bit today about having a bigger vision for life, a bigger vision maybe for our Christmas this year. And that can only come from having a true and big vision of who Jesus is. We are well and truly now, aren't we, on the countdown to Christmas. 
If you were to look at the way that the UK population behaves at Christmas, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Christmas is basically just a festival of shopping, spending money, food, drink, TV shows, and spending time with people that we only ever see once a year, and yet we choose to spend time with them every year at Christmas. I was reading in the news last week that despite the cost of living crisis, the average person in the UK is projected to spend £430 on Christmas gifts. £430 the average person in the UK will spend on Christmas gifts. Um, this is a £3 billion decrease from last year, but UK economists are projecting a £20 billion spend this Christmas in total on Christmas gifts. We love our food and our drink at Christmas. And apparently, again, this was reported in the press just a few weeks ago, on an average, an average Christmas in the UK, there's so much food waste that an average of 263,000 turkeys are wasted every year. Seven and a half million mince pies, 17.2 million Brussels sprouts, and this is the worst, I think, 11 million roast potatoes. That's one of the best bits of the Christmas meal. And 11 million of them are thrown away each year. At Christmas, 35 million bottles of wine will be drunk around the UK. 7 million mince pies will be left out for Santa. I mean, it's no reason that he's got a bit of a, you know, bit of a belly. On the face of it, Christmas has become, if you just look at those stats, nothing more than a materialistic spending spree. And it's no wonder, is it, that this is according to the Evangelical Alliance, that over half of people, half of the UK population, when surveyed, Jesus is irrelevant to my Christmas, the birth of Jesus is irrelevant to my Christmas, over half the UK population now agree with that statement. We need a bigger vision for Christmas. Because if we don't have a bigger vision for Christmas, then how on earth is the nation going to have a bigger vision for Christmas? Now keep Matthew 11 open in front of you as we explore some of these themes together. So in Matthew 11, we meet John the Baptist and we're reintroduced to him in the Gospels. And John the Baptist has got to a point in his life where he needs his vision of who Jesus is expanding and correcting. So cast your mind back to the beginning of the Gospels, for those of you that know the Gospel story. John the Baptist was the one who, before Jesus had even started his public ministry, was declaring that the Messiah was about to burst onto the scene. John the Baptist is described as the forerunner to Jesus, declaring that Jesus was on his way. And one day at the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus appears in front of John the Baptist and John declares, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John declares in front of everybody, here is the Messiah, the Son of God has come. Jump forward though, just a few chapters in the gospel story and John here is sending his disciples to Jesus to ask, look at verse three, are you really the Messiah? 
Are you really the one that we've been waiting for? Or did I get it wrong? Should we have been waiting for someone else? Now this begs the question, doesn't it, as we read this passage, what on earth has happened to John? Here he was at the beginning of the Gospels, this radical follower of God, living this radical lifestyle, often in the desert, pointing the way to Jesus, saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And now he seems to be riddled with doubt. Is Jesus really who he said he is? I guess that in some ways, at some point in our life, we can all relate to John. Once upon a time, we had such faith. Perhaps you felt once upon a time, maybe when you were younger, that you were going to change the world. Perhaps when you started that new job, you thought that you were going to go in there and be an ambassador for Jesus and see all of your colleagues come to faith in him. Perhaps when you moved onto your street, you had visions about how you were going to start a little revival there and everyone was going to come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Perhaps when you started university, you thought, this is it. I'm going to be a different person. All of my housemates and all of my course mates are going to hear the gospel through me. And it's not turned out like that. Well, perhaps like John, sometimes we lose sight of who Jesus really is. Perhaps we let life and life circumstances get in the way. Perhaps some tragedy hits us and we're asking questions about who God really is. Now, John the Baptist was not having the easiest of times. As I said earlier, he spent his whole life living a radical life of obedience and devotion to God. He was gathering quite a crowd and telling people that the Messiah is on the way. But now, John's been locked away in prison and John's in prison because he's been publicly calling out the king's stance on sexual ethics Herod Antipas who was the king at the time had married his brother's wife and John wasn't particularly happy about this and called out the king in front of everybody and because of that John went to prison and shortly after that John was killed No wonder John is asking, is Jesus really who he said he was? Is Jesus really the one that we've been waiting for? Or should we now be waiting for somebody else? Should we now be putting our trust in somebody else? His circumstances, his experiences has meant that his vision of Jesus and therefore his vision of the kingdom of God has shrunk as a result. Now, perhaps you're here today and you're carrying unfulfilled expectations. Or perhaps some of your hopes have been dashed. Or perhaps you've got questions about who God really is. Perhaps when you started a new job or joined this church or did whatever it is that you have done recently, you had such vision for what it could be like and it's not turned out the way that you thought. And perhaps that leads you to ask questions about who Jesus really is. Well, know this, if you find yourself in that place, you are in good company with John the Baptist. 
What I love about John, though, is although he was disappointed, although he had questions, he was not afraid to ask Jesus the questions direct. Are you really the one we've been waiting for? When John, at the, earlier in the Gospels, had been teaching that the Messiah was coming, he'd have quoted all of the Old Testament passages that some of us are familiar with. He would have said that the Messiah is coming and he's going to open blind eyes. He would have been quoting from Isaiah saying that the Messiah is going to come and that deaf ears are going to open. These are the things that had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years. These are the things that John would have been preaching about. Verses like Isaiah 35 verse 5. And when he comes, the Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. Or Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. John would have known these prophecies like the back of his hand and had thought that they were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But he's lost his sight of this vision and somehow, therefore, his vision of the kingdom of God has therefore shrunk. Now look at Jesus' response to John's questions in verse 4. Jesus said to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And what they are hearing and seeing is amazing. Imagine seeing in front of your eyes, blind eyes opening, deaf ears being unplugged, people being miraculously healed, the dead being raised, the gospel proclaimed at every turn. Now, what is Jesus demonstrating to John's disciples? What's Jesus telling John's disciples to go back and report? Well, Jesus is basically saying, look, John, all of those things that you thought about me, all of those things that you'd hoped for, all of those things that you said about me, they are happening. I am who I said I am. I am who, I, who you said I was just a short time ago. And I bet as John heard this report, he breathed a sigh of relief. This is what the kingdom of God was always supposed to look like. But because John had lost sight of Jesus, he had lost sight of that vision of the kingdom. When our vision of who Jesus is shrinks, our vision of what he can do in us and through us also shrinks. If we don't have a big vision for who Jesus is, we won't have a big vision for Christmas. If we don't have a big vision for who Jesus is, then we won't have a big vision for what Jesus can do in us and through us. In my own life, I see this. I've often looked back to some of the times when I've been the most radical that I've been for Jesus and thought, gosh, what was going on then? I was just so in love with who Jesus was. I can remember turning up, for those of you that are university students, my first year at university, um, turned up and I just had this dream that everybody on my corridor would hit, have a chance to hear the gospel. And more than that, I lived in a halls of residence with 800 people living in it. And I wanted everybody that lived in the halls of residence to have an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. Um, I arrived at university totally in love with who Jesus is. By week two, 
we'd got an alpha course going in the halls of residence that I was living in. And by week three, we'd got one going in every halls of residence across the city. And sometimes I look at my own life and think, where's that passion gone? Where's that fire for, where's that fire for evangelism gone? I mean, it's, it's still there, praise God. But sometimes it, you know, it, it weans and it disappears amongst the busyness of life and all of the other things that need doing. Sometimes I focus on the doing rather than on Jesus. And when we lose sight of Jesus, we lose sight of everything. So what does a kingdom vision look like? Well, we've looked at it already, but look at verses four to five again. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. There's basically two aspects of this kingdom vision, these things that Jesus is doing to extend the kingdom of God, these signs that he really is the Messiah. There's the proclamation of the gospel and there's demonstrations of gospel power. Firstly, proclamation of the gospel. Secondly, demonstrations of gospel's power. It's both declaration and, it's both proclamation, sorry, and demonstration. Let's first look at proclamation of the gospel. Jesus chooses a very particular word when he chooses the word gospel. It means, the word gospel means good news. But it means a particular type of good news. The word gospel is an announcement. So in the ancient day, if a new king or a new Caesar was coming into power, then a message would go out around the region saying, the gospel about Caesar. In other words, an announcement about the rule and reign of this next Caesar. So when Jesus says that the gospel is being proclaimed, Jesus is saying that an, an, an announcement is being made about who he is. What Jesus is proclaiming is not necessarily self-help. In fact, he never teaches self-help at all. Jesus is not proclaiming 10 ways in order to get right with God. Jesus is saying that he is the announcement, that he is good news, that he has done everything necessary for us to be free. Now, this is so different to every other religion. Every other religion offers advice. It's not news. It's things that you have to do in order to be right with God. But Jesus offers an announcement, good news. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it like this, advice is counsel about something to do and it hasn't happened yet, but you can do it. News is a report about something that has happened. You can't do anything about it. It's been done for you and all you can do is respond. Every other religion is advice. They're talking about something that hasn't happened yet, something that you have to do to work your way up to God. The gospel says the opposite, that God in Jesus has come to us. Isn't that what we remember at Christmas? 
at Christmas, we remember that God in the person of Jesus has burst onto the scene, not primarily with teaching, not with a moral checklist, but God came as a baby. His name, Emmanuel, God with us. That is the gospel. That's the announcement and it changes everything. If this is true about the Christmas story, then it should make our vision of Christmas so much bigger than just a materialistic festival of food and drink and spending and spending time with friends and family. What if our vision for Christmas needs to be bigger in light of this? What if it's not about us trying to put on a show to impress friends? What if it's not us trying to outspend other people in our family on who's been the most generous with gifts at Christmas? What if it's not about who has the best decorations? Or if you're hosting this year and your parents or your siblings hosted last year, it's not about who hosted a better Christmas day. What if it's about proclaiming an announcement that God is with us? proclamation of the gospel secondly demonstrations of gospel power in the new testament as you read the story of the new testament you'll often see that when the gospel is proclaimed the gospel is often accompanied with demonstrations of gospel power people are healed the blind are healed the deaf their ears are opened the lame begin to walk all the way through the book of Acts, not just in the Gospels, you see demonstrations of gospel power. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. The church has always known this. It's not enough for us just to proclaim the gospel. Signs have got to accompany gospel proclamation. Signs of healing, signs of hope, signs of social justice. It's word and it's deed. It has to be both. It was St. Nicholas's Day on Tuesday. Um, St. Nicholas famously is the inspiration for Father Christmas. Um, Santa Claus comes from a German um, German saying, Santa, Saint, Claus, Nicholas, Santa, Claus. Um, why is he associated with Christmas? Who on earth was this guy? Who was the original Father Christmas? Well, St. Nicholas was a bishop in Turkey. And he was absolutely passionate about gospel truth. He was said to have signed the Nicene Creed. Lots of historical lists have him present at the, at the Council of Nicaea. He was a staunch defender of the Trinity. He was a defender of, of lots of Christology, i.e. defending that Jesus really is God. That's, lots of what he did was defending gospel truth and proclamation of the gospel. His nickname though, St. Nicholas's nickname, was Nicholas the Wonderworker. Nicholas the Wonderworker. And why did he have that nickname? He had that nickname because demonstrations of gospel power followed him wherever he went. He rescued girls from prostitution. He gave away his money 
to the poor. He rescued people who were going to be executed. All kinds of miracles were attributed to him. Some are historically attested, some less so. Um, he's said to have raised three dead children um, back, to the, back, to, back to life after they had been killed. He famously took money when it was... Le he, legend has it that his parents left him a lot of money and he just gave it all away as gifts to the poor and to the needy. Nicholas the wonder worker, defender of gospel truth, committed to demonstrating the kingdom of God in action as well. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the church was known like that today? That we were people who would proclaim the gospel and demonstrate its power. We're still living in Nicholas's legacy today. The reason we give gifts away at Christmas is partly inspired by him. Christmas having a strong social justice element, partly inspired by him. Now, do you see what's going on here? The vision that St. Nicholas had of Jesus expanded his kingdom vision. It forced him to proclaim the gospel and put it into action. When John the Baptist, back to the passage, heard of these things. As I said, I bet he was suddenly reminded, yes, Jesus really is who he said he was. He would have been reminded of all of those Old Testament prophecies that said this is what the Messiah was going to come to do. So I wonder, church, where do we need a bigger vision in our own life? Where have we let disappointment and hurt and failure and pain, maybe sickness, unmet expectations where have we let all of that get in the way and our vision for our own life has shrunk as a result and ultimately our maybe even our vision of who Jesus is how could we over the next few weeks have a big vision for Christmas that isn't just about spending time with friends and family it's not just a festive period but it really is about celebrating Emmanuel God with us you'll have seen that we're encouraging people to think about three ways that they could do that over the Christmas period here at St Thomas's firstly by being generous and inviting inviting friends to come to church or maybe go to your small group or a Christmas party that you're doing or something where they can experience and hear something of the good news of Jesus secondly by being generous with what God has given us um, some of you may have seen the stuff that James has been putting out on the um, St. Thomas's community group about um, collecting particularly food items for some of the most vulnerable families in the city. And thirdly, we're encouraging people to be generous by giving to fantastic charity, safe families. Now, they may be simple little things, but in every act that we, whenever we do something like that, we're reminding ourselves Christmas isn't just what I read out at the beginning. It's not just a commercial spending spree, but it's actually about God being with us. Our vision for it is therefore expanded. So two things for us to think about as I come into land. How can we proclaim the good news of Jesus? Not just this year, but into next year as well. How can we as a church do that? 
it starts with us being captivated again by the person of Jesus Christ, by being so in love with him that we can't help but want to tell others about him, that it just overflows. Where can we proclaim the good news of Jesus this year? How can you get involved in that? And secondly, how can you demonstrate the good news of Jesus this year as well? Is there something that you can do individually? Is there something that your small group could do? Is there something that you feel we should be doing as a church that we're currently not doing? Come and tell us. We'd love to hear about that. How can we demonstrate the good news of Jesus this year? And lastly, I just want to talk to those of us in the room who are feeling hurt, disappointed, let down, not quite sure of who Jesus is as a result. As I said earlier, if you are in that place, you're in good company because you're with John the Baptist. My encouragement to you is to take those things directly to Jesus. To ask him, don't be afraid of asking him, just as John the Baptist, if John the Baptist did it, we can do it. Jesus, are you really who you said you are? His answer is always going to be, Yes, he, he's not afraid of being asked questions. If you're in that place, feel free to have that kind of conversation and dialogue with Jesus. But also pray that you'd have your vision of who Jesus is recalibrated, realigned. That you might see that Jesus really is who he said he was. That he really is the only one who can heal you. Open deaf ears, raise the dead, open blind eyes and he's the only one with an announcement that says I've done everything necessary for you to be set free and saved. Amen.